In a few moments, I'm going to show you a slide of Gamla, which is one of the towns of Galilee. And the synagogue in Gamla is largely preserved, minus uh, the roof, of course, after all these years. But we were able to stand in the very place where Jesus stood and recite together the Shema, just as Jesus and his disciples would have done in worship uh, 2,000 years ago. So would you follow after me as today we recite the Shema again, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. And all your might. Amen. The Word of God comes to us from Mark, the third chapter. It's about the calling of the disciples. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to himself those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and give them authority to drive out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Rockets today fly from Gaza into Israel. Soldiers in the night moved from Israel into Gaza. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the weapons have changed and the names have changed, but the situation in Israel is the same as it was in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. A place and a time of great crises and a place and a time of great tension. I tell you that because today I want to take you back to Galilee in Jesus' day so that we might learn something from the situation uh, as we look at how the people in Jesus' day handled their world. As we do this, uh, first a word of uh, history. Uh, Some of you are probably aware of the history of Israel that it's been sort of a football, political football, all through the centuries, bounced from one kingdom to another because it's on a critical road that, uh, that united Egypt Uh, with Assyria and Babylon and those powers that were in the east. Well, about 722 uh, B.C., before um, uh, years before Christ, uh, Solomon's kingdom had been split into north and south. The northern kingdom was called Israel, its capital was Samaria. The southern kingdom called Judah, its capital was Jerusalem. And the northern kingdom had a succession of kings who rebelled against God and taught their people to worship other gods. Finally, God gave them over to the Assyrians. But about a hundred years later, in 598 B.C., Judah, where Jerusalem was, went the same route. And God gave them over to the Babylonians. And finally, in 586 B.C., God did the unthinkable. God allowed Solomon's temple to be destroyed. And for the Jews there who were young and able or bright to be carted off, hundreds of thousands, into slavery back to Babylon. Now, when Cyrus the Great, the Persian, conquered the Babylonians... Some of the Jews got permission to go back to Jerusalem. They were so disappointed. The town was a wreck. The city wall was down. The temple was in ruins. So a number of the Jews who remained behind in Babylonia thought, we got a better deal here, we'll stay. And stay they did. Until after the Maccabean Revolt, which is celebrated in Hanukkah, the Maccabean Revolt, uh, about 160 years before Jesus, uh, freed Israel for a short time. They had political and religious freedom. 
And the Jews moved back then. They saw their opportunity to move from Babylon back into Israel. Fred, the next slide. And here's where they settled. By and large, they settled in Galilee because it was uh, an unsettled region, not very populated. And they lived around the Sea of Galilee. Now, what I want to talk to you about is four people groups who lived around the Sea of Galilee. And I want to tell you how they answered a most important question. The question is, how do we honor God? How do we live for God in our day? And there are four groups where people called Herodians, people called Hellenists, people called uh, Zealots, and uh, people that Ray Vandalin would just say the Orthodox Jews, the kind of people from whom Jesus, uh, Mary, and Joseph arose out of this group. So let's take these groups one at a time. We'll start with the Hellenists. The Hellenists were a group of people who, just learned, like their name, Hellenists, adopted Greek ways. They were populated uh, by Alexander the Great three centuries before Jesus left behind to form cities. And if you ask the question, how are we to honor God, their response might be, Who's God? Why should I care? A Hellenist lived for himself and herself. And what they did is they sought luxury, they sought comfort, they sought to develop their mind, and above all, they worshipped the perfect body. And here we're seeing ruins of a Hellenist town in the Decapolis, which is across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. This is called Bethshan. And you see the big columns. And the big columns remind you that every Greek town founded by Alexander had four major institutions whose main job was to convert people to Hellenism. Uh, the first institution was the temple, and so it might be built to Zeus or Artemis or Aphrodite uh, or some local god, but they thought they better get control of the religion to get people um, enculturated, even though they really didn't believe in the gods that they set up these temples to worship. Second thing is they all had arenas. They knew if you could capture the sports world, you could capture the culture. Can anybody say Disney ESPN? Uh, and then they also built uh, other um, facilities known as theaters. They knew if you could capture the media of the day, you could get your message out, and you could, you could bring people into your way of thinking being. And finally, uh, they built gymnasiums. And by gymnasiums, I don't mean like the AT&T Center. That was their word for school. It was called gymnasium after gymnos, our uh, human body, because they studied in the nude. Because why not? The best thing about us is our body, and our bodies are the thing we care most about, so we display it proudly for anyone, and they did. This is the Hellenist world. And they answered the question, how do I honor God, by who's God? One of the famous Hellenist sayings went like this, and you've heard it before. Man is the measure of all things. Now, in today's world, are there any Hellenists in America? I'd say, are there any who aren't? We all have a bit of the arena, the theater, uh, the gymnasium in all of us. And so it's hard to pick out any one of us as Hellenists because it's so pervasive into our world. But they were located in, in a region across the Sea of Galilee, and they had a radically different answer to how do we honor God uh, than God's people would have. Okay, Fred, next. We'll look. Uh, oh, there's another slide. I'm sorry, Fred. Uh, this is a, a street still in Betchan. You can see even after an earthquake, it's still in pretty good shape. You would never find a town in Israel where they would put this much money into a road or a building. Their money would go into people, helping them, loving them. They would never waste it on a building. But 
and bet Sean they do. Okay, Fred, sorry. Now, this is a tile floor, a beautiful mosaic floor in a town called Sephoris. And this introduces our second people group that we would call the Herodians. Uh, the Herodians are named after Herod's son, uh, Herod Antipas, who came to rule after Herod the Great's death. Herod built his capital about three miles away from Nazareth in a town called Sephoris and entered a massive building project. In fact, it's quite likely that Joseph, who was, quote, a carpenter, unquote, which means someone who works with building, uh, found employment as perhaps Jesus may himself have found it in Sephoris. This is a beautiful tile floor owned, um, built and owned in a home by a Jew who lived in Sephoris. The Herodians were known for the fact that they believed in God, the God of the Jews, but they lived just like everybody else. And so they invested tons of money in their house, and and they went ahead and participated in the theater and other forms of uh, culture that would be opposed to uh, the values that God's people were learning. But the important thing is they believed. They'd tell you they believed in God, and their life would tell you something different. Where are the Herodians today? Well, there's one here on this platform. Probably some in the pew. Presbyterian churches, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal. People who believe in God. But if you look at their life and the life of their neighbor who may or may not claim to believe, you see very little difference. A lot of accommodation to the world's way of thinking and living. Well, there were two other groups still to be examined who had radically different answers to how do we honor God. The, the answer of the Herodians is, well, we believe in God. Isn't that enough? Okay, Fred, the next group, the next group are the zealots. Now, before I tell you about the history behind this picture, let me say a word about the zealots. Here's where the word comes from. In the Bible, there was a man and a foreign woman misbehaving very badly in front of the tabernacle. And they were caught in the act of misbehaving badly by a man who speared them both and nailed them both to the ground because he was, quote, zealous for God. The zealots took him as their example. They would be zealous for God. They would purify their country from the the wicked foreigners, the Romans, and they would clean out the Jews among them who were accommodating the Romans. These were the zealots. And they had good reason to be the way they were. These are the caves in Mount Arbel. Uh, A few years before Herod's death, there was a massive rebellion against the Romans and against Herod. Herod the Great, rather. Herod the Great brought in Roman troops into Galilee to put down the rebellion. Estimates are as many as 200,000, and there weren't many more than that who lived in Galilee, 200,000 people were killed. The ones who still remained fled to these caves, which is on a mountainside. The Romans put a scaffold on top of the mountain and built them and then lowered the scaffold to where you see these holes are to the caves where the the Jews were hiding and and put fire in there to, to smoke them out or preferably just to kill them. They went to entire towns and took every Jew in the town, grandma, grandpa, little babies, and hung them to doorposts. This is how they dealt with the Galileans. And so when the zealots came along and said, let's kill them, they had a lot of popular support. If your grandmother had died because two soldiers nailed her to the doorposts of her door, you might be interested in some revenge. And the zealots promised revenge. And they would get it. First of all, on the Romans. But second of all, on anybody who would collaborate with the Romans. 
uh, the priests made a lot of money off the temple in Jerusalem, and they made so much money that they built summer homes in Jericho. And so they would travel from Jericho when it was time to go to work, which, you know, they work less than I do. You know, I'm once a week. They, they were less often than that in the temple. And they would commute from Jericho into Jerusalem on a narrow road. And the zealots would wait for them. They would have knives about this long in their robes, and the Jericho roads about this wide, and they would knife them, push them over the edge, and go on about their business. They would kill, if need be, their own people, as well as the foreigner, to keep their country pure. Fred, next slide. They ended up hanging out largely in a place called Gamla. Gamla is called that. It means camel's hump. Can you see the camel's hump on this, on this thing? And if you go halfway down the camel's hump, you'll see the remains of Gamla. And this was Jesus was here, preached and taught here to people who so desperately wanted to be independent and free to worship God that they would kill to do it. Purity at all costs. They led a revolt against Rome in 66 AD that resulted not only in their own deaths, but the deaths of thousands of Jews as the Romans came in. You may remember the story of Masada. That's where they ended up. The last living zealots on Masada killed uh, killed themselves there rather than surrender to the Romans. But their answer was, how do you honor God? Their answer was, you honor it by purifying first your own people and then the enemy and getting rid of them, using violence if necessary. And they did. What's fascinating is, is that one of Jesus' disciples was called Simon the zealot and there was another disciple who was from the only zealot town outside of galilee a place called ishkarot or we call it iscariot it's quite possible that judas was the second zealot among the disciples and no wonder he would turn in jesus he was trying to force a battle that would finally end up wiping out the romans judas used his own thinking and his own plans to try to bring about god's will by the way There was also Herodian among the 12 disciples. Anybody know? The tax collector whose name was Matthew. Thank you. Uh, Can you imagine dinner after synagogue, sitting down, having fried chicken or whatever, and you've got two zealots and a Herodian sworn to kill each other? I wonder who sat between them. Must have been an interesting time. But the answer was kill. Now, where are today's zealots? Oh, they're around. They're around. I would tell you that they're religious extremists, except that's what I am. I mean, I think you should practice your religion extremely seriously. I would say instead that there are people who think if we can just clean out the bad people among us, manipulate them and coerce them to straighten up, get the bums out of office and the right people into office, if we can manipulate and control things, we can purify the place and it will all be fixed. People who think and act that way are today's zealots. And I think Jesus had a lot of sympathy for them, but that wasn't his answer. Finally, there was another group, Fred. Uh, This group lived in primarily in a place called the Religious Triangle, which is Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. This is a picture of Peter's mother-in-law's house, and then the the church has built a church on top, so you can look like through a, uh, like Aquarina Springs or whatever, you can kind of look through a glass bottom, and you can see Peter's house Uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house under your floor. These were people who answered the question, how do we honor God? Their answer was, by living God's will in our life. By living it out. We aren't going to try to fix other people. We're not going to try to kill them, drive them out. We're going to do in our community what God has called us to do. 
And God's word became central in these communities, just as it was for the zealots. But the way they lived it out was radically different. And they practiced a couple concepts that are very important for us. One is uh, discipleship. Discipleship meant that you had a leader, a rabbi, and your goal was to be just like him because you knew he was trying to live God's word in his daily life. And uh, disciples would be chosen by a rabbi, and the, the very disciples would give 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to be just like him and honoring God. So when James and John are called, uh, it's no wonder they drop their fishing nets and follow this was an opportunity of a lifetime. As I told you last week, maybe one in 10,000 Jewish boys in Galilee could ever get as far as uh, being a rabbi. Uh, not an official title, but what people would call you because of their, the esteem and acclaim they give you because of the way you master and live out God's word. Discipleship was key, living God's word. And then Jesus put this slight twist on it. And what do you do about those Romans? What do you do about those collaborators? Jesus, the religious Jew from the triangle, said, you love them. What? Do you know what they did to my grandmother? You love them. Do you know what they did? An entire city, Magadan, wiped off the map. Wiped off the map in Herod's day. Romans just torched it to the ground. Wouldn't come back up. What? Love them was Jesus' answer. And he discipled his followers into loving. He said, by this, people will know that you're my disciples because you, anybody, love one another. That was his answer. That was their answer. Last picture, Fred. This is a synagogue in Chorazin, one of the cities of the Triangle. I don't know the guy standing there. He's from a different group, but I'm, I'm sure he's wiser than we were. But uh, he's coming out of synagogue. But the interesting thing is when he walks out of the synagogue, he's at the marketplace. Synagogues in Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida were built at the very center of the town because they were all centered around God. You didn't think about the economy. You didn't think about your family. You didn't think about your job. You didn't think about any of that apart from God. God was in the middle of all that, and you tried to honor God in everything you did. That's how they lived their lives, and that's how they sought to honor God. Now, I don't often see a lot of that in my life and in the lives of a lot of people I know. And I've thought about the question, why aren't there more disciples, people really intensely, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wanting to be like Jesus? And the three answers I've came up with to share with you this morning. First one comes from Dallas Willard, who says that 95% of North American Christians, when they get up in the morning, don't think they can be like Jesus. They have no intention. They figure Jesus is God's son, has an unfair advantage on them. They could never be that kind of person, so they're not even going to try. The second thing is these disciples uh, were willing to submit to someone. We're willing to be in a Sunday school class or maybe even a peer group that meets for lunch, but don't anybody try to tell us how to live our marriage or raise our children. We won't accept that until we're willing to submit to another mentor who can speak into our lives about our wives or husbands or children and how we should be honoring them. We're not going to become disciples. We're just going to be buddies. And that's not going to get us further down the road. And the final thing was this. When they were in Babylon, these Jews lived in groups called mishpaha. Word gets translated household. In Latin, it's insula. They lived in small communities uh, together very tightly, maybe 150 to 300 people, all under one contiguous roof. Everybody knew everybody else's business. 
They all knew who was walking along God's road and who needed help because they were steering off the path. And they made it their business to help each other stay on that narrow road. Doesn't often happen in our world. I get a lot of occasion as a pastor to hear from people who feel like our church has disappointed them, that we haven't helped them in their time of need. We weren't there for them. And then I get to hear from other people who come to our church who said their last church wasn't there for them. And you know, I don't doubt any of them. That's the first thing. But the second thing is I would tell you honestly, churches as organizations and clubs cannot be there for you. They can't be. They don't really know your business. They are not spending enough time rubbing up against you, walking with you in life to be able to help you uh, move along the path. They're really not living in Mishpaha. They're not living in tight community. We're living rather scattered. Because I guarantee you, a tight community of family does things differently than organization. Our New Year's world got rocked a little when both of my parents became very ill. And my older brother lives near them, and so he stepped in. And then fortunately, uh, my older sister, because daughters just kind of do things differently than sons, uh, came in and took over. And then after the 11 o'clock service, I'll drive down there, and it'll be my turn. And then my younger sister will follow Tuesday. Nobody organized and passed the sign-up sheet. Nobody sent out a mass email. It was a person living close enough to know what was going on. And others who had an interest and a stake in that who rallied. That's the way a family, that's the way a community, that's the way a mishpaha behaves. Now, where do you see that in the world today? I haven't seen it yet. But I was hoping, I was sort of hoping it might start with us. 